So John chapter 1, verse 15, on page 1090. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is taken from Philippians chapter 3, and you can follow it on page 1180 in the Church Bibles. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I've often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Decluttering. Oh, I love that word, decluttering. I love actually doing it. The empty drawer. You've cleared it out. The empty cupboard. Those things which have been hanging around. And even better still, those empty papers. The papers which you shred. You will never see them again. You will never worry about them again. And the file is empty. It's an exciting time. And I believe that a new year is a bit like that. It's a new start. But to make the most of it, we have to have the right attitude. We have to get ourselves into the mindset. And I think that's true with a new year. What are our circumstances? Where are we? 
today, apart from exhausted, of course. Paul's situation was not very promising when he wrote this letter that I've just read. He's a prisoner, probably under house arrest. He's guarded day and night, so humanly speaking, his movements are very restricted. But in spite of it all, this letter to the Philippians is full of joy and of gratitude. So what can we take from it into 2016? How can we learn to live as men and women of faith? Paul tells us two things. First of all, we need to have the right attitude to the past. We need to have the right attitude to the past. Look at verse 13. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. Now, there are some things we don't want to forget. Some people got married this year. Very exciting. You don't want to forget that. But there are some things we can do well to forget. Because it's possible to be imprisoned by the past. For example, our experiences at school. I don't know about you. Every so often I wake up with that nightmare. I'm back at school with the exam paper. Uh, For the first time, the old members of my school had a carol service at St. Michael's. I was rather mixed about that. Did I want to meet people that I was at school with? Fortunately, the only ones I met were nice. There's a story of our backgrounds. They can imprison us if we let them. Now, Paul came from a very privileged background. He had all the advantages in life. Look at verse 5. His ancestors descended from Jacob. That means to say he was rather like the Pilgrim Fathers. He was well-connected. He came with the Normans. He belonged to the tribe of Benjamin, the most aristocratic branch. He had a superb education, Eton and Oxford, Harvard to follow He could boast of personal achievements. He was a fluent Hebrew speaker. He was a Pharisee. That was a very select group of only 6,000 people. He was regarded as a member of the spiritual elite. He had a record in Judaism that was faultless. He was highly respected. He had very high social status. But then, shockingly, he says that all these things that most people would have put in the profit column of life's balance sheet, he considered them to be rubbish or even worse. They should be put in the loss column. Compared, verses 7 and 8, to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, pride in our family background or achievements can imprison us or blind us to our need of a saviour. That's what Christmas has all been about. God came to earth on a rescue mission. But of course, with a saviour, you have a choice. Do you want to be rescued? Do you choose to be rescued? Do you know that ridiculous uh, card that comes? The man is actually, there's a flood, he's on the roof, and he prays that God would rescue him, and a boat comes by. And he says, no, God is going to rescue me. And then a helicopter comes, and he says, no, no, God is going to rescue me, I prayed. And then another boat comes by. And then as he's drowning, because he's taken none of those, he said, God, why didn't you rescue me? He said, I sent a helicopter, a boat, and various other people. Why didn't you take it? 
Looking back to the good old days may prevent us from seeing how wonderful Jesus is in the here and now. Because the Christian faith, yes, is a historic faith, but it's for now. It's for tomorrow. It's for 2016 and 17 and 18. Then there's the person imprisoned by past failure or wrong done to them. We can all live in the if-onlys, if only that hadn't happened to me. And, of course, sadly, there are those things which are just misfortunes. Life happens. Things go wrong. Or it could be what others have said to us. And the trouble is we can become victims all our lives. And then it becomes comfortable to be a victim. It's not fair. I chose that reading from Peter because I think that's a very significant moment. Because it shows how Peter is given the opportunity by Jesus to move forward rather than to remain imprisoned by his total failure to stand by Jesus as he had promised to do. His three denials of Jesus must have seared his mind and remained on his conscience. And Jesus recommissions him wonderfully by asking three times, do you love me? Because their relationship has been broken down. He's betrayed Jesus. A little servant girl said, you're one of them. Oh, no, I'm not. I have nothing to do with them. You go to church? Oh, no, I don't. Not really. Do you read the Bible? No, no, not really. And then he gives them the task of feeding and taking care of his sheep, Jesus' followers. And we know how deeply upset Peter was by his moral failure and his cowardice because Luke's account records what happened when the cock crowed the third time. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him, before the cock crows today, you will disown me three times. And Peter went outside and wept bitterly. How do you live with yourself having done that? You see, it's possible for anyone to be held back and imprisoned by past failure or trouble. But God wants to move us on. So he says very clearly through Paul in verse 13, forget all that, leave it behind, make a decision that your past will not mortgage your present. How is that possible? What do we need to do? Here's the second point that Paul makes. The person who lives by faith is constantly looking forward with excitement and not with dread. Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. And St. Paul is using a picture from athletics. He's using a Greek word which had a very specific meaning, straining towards. It's the runner stretching out to the finishing tape. He stretches forward with eyes on nothing except the goal. And it describes the Christian who is going flat out, pressing towards the goal, which in our case is not a medal, but heaven itself. You see, Christians have dual citizenship. Yes, I'm a member of Her Majesty's, citizen of Her Majesty's Kingdom of the United Kingdom and Northern Ireland. But I'm a citizen of heaven. 
And that's going to last. For we're not living as Christians without purpose or aims. We're not going round in circles. We're on a journey. We have a very clear destination. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be with him. I don't know if I dare tell you this funny story. Uh, My first vicar's wife was called Mary. She was a Yorkshire woman. We need to pray for Yorkshire at the moment with the floods. And her husband, Raymond, had died. He was my first vicar here in London. And uh, as she was terminally ill, the vicar came to visit her and said, you know, I'm here to pray with you. And she, she said, I'm so looking forward to the future. I'm so looking forward to it. And I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him. And the vicar thought she meant her husband. So he said, I'm sure Raymond will be there. Oh, no, not Raymond. She said, it's Jesus I want to see. You see, we each have, we're made for a purpose. Paul knew about that. He stopped in his tracks on a journey to Damascus. He knew God had a purpose for his life, namely to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world, to the non-Jewish Gentile world. And he carried that out because you and I here this morning, he fulfilled the purpose of his life. And he describes it most movingly. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Why has Jesus got hold of you if he has? If you've taken his hand of rescue. It's got to start there. But if you've gripped his hand, then he's got a plan for your life, a purpose for it. And the purpose at the heart of it is transformation, to change you, to be more like him personally, to help you change your family your colleagues, your friends, a world which looks dark with wars and tragedies. Yes, there's so much that's hard for us to understand in our world, except the reminder that Christmas brings that God is not indifferent to human grief and suffering. He's not a spectator. He's not one of those people who, when you share with them what a tragedy, they say, oh, yes, I'm so sorry. I think I've experienced that too, when they can't possibly have. No, God entered our world of suffering and pain and grief in Jesus, of humiliation, of betrayal. He's not indifferent at all. He entered it. He experienced it by sending his son as a baby. His son became a refugee. Think about that for a moment. I always think about Herod. Herod saw Jesus as a threat because here was a king. And what did he do? He asked his wise men to look up the scriptures. What did the scripture say? The prophet said he would be born in Bethlehem. So what did he do? He, he executed some old babies from two years because he believed it. But of course, amazingly, Jesus' death on the cross was not the end of the story. Yes, his death paid our ransom, our freedom, freedom for our failures and sins. His resurrection defeated even the last enemy, death itself. So we can live transformed, changed lives. And what Jesus did is a cause for joy. That's why Christmas is a a reason for joy. It always makes me cross. You know, we had a wonderful Christmas. We sold more this year than we did last year. No, that's not the reason for Christmas. (laughs) It's the gift of the Son of God.
the good news as the angels declared it. And if you know this good news, it changes everything. And good news has to be passed on, doesn't it? You know, when my first child was born, my first daughter, I went early in the morning to the newspaper shop, the only shops that are open and early in the morning, it's a newspaper shop, so I told them, I said, you won't believe this, I am a father. Well, blow me, it was in the north. Uh, in the north, people talk. They don't talk in London, but they talk in the north. Everybody knew, so I rang somebody. Oh, I heard it in the newspaper shop, she said. So therefore, we're told to pass it on, to pass on the good news, to pass on the message. We're called to be ambassadors. In Belgravia, we are an ambassador land. If you go up to Belgrave Square, you'll see all the flags. They're living in a foreign country representing their country. And they go where they're sent. I wonder where God has sent you. What's the, where's your flag flying? Maybe in law, maybe you're a lawyer. Maybe you're a teacher, a mother at home, a senior citizen, an IT specialist, a businessman. That's where God has called you to be his ambassador. In Philippians 2, Paul says, Children of God live, we are to be children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Well, that's true, isn't it? And honest people, people with integrity, shine. They look different. We are to represent Christ as his ambassadors, both in how we live and by what we say. Never underestimate the power of a throwaway conversation, just a phrase. And you are a prison chaplain who said to a man, as he was walking down the corridor, do you know that Jesus loves you and can change your life? And he was rung up some years later, and the prisoner's ex-prisoner said he did, just from that phrase. You see, if Jesus has taken hold of us, then our goal is heaven. Our chief purpose is to pass on the, the good news of his love for every person. God's love is indiscriminate, available for everybody. So we should have eternal ambitions, the longing to see that what we do or say will have lasting effects. And we will feel inadequate, but look at verse 15. All of us who are mature should take such a view, and if on some point you think differently, God will make that clear to you. God will make his purposes clear to us personally, and he's provided us with resources, one another. Look at verse 17. Join with others in following my example. Take note, those who live according to the pattern we gave you. We're part of a great crowd on the same journey. And the church is God's encouragement to resource us. Sunday by Sunday, the Bible is taught. God's purpose is revealed. It's where we meet one another for encouragement over coffee. How are you? And we, we're very un-English in church. We can actually tell people how we are. Normally in England, you just say, I'm fine, how are you? I'm fine. But as we get to know people and pray for people, we can say it as it really is. It's where God's help and power is received. And we have opportunities. I announced earlier, didn't I, the big questions. Do you know, I wasn't brought up in a Christian home. I wasn't, there was not a great line of vicars in my family. I'm the only one. I had to ask questions. And there were some big questions. 
And I didn't have the opportunity until very much later. So to invite somebody to one of these. Or later next year, as regular members of St. Michael's will know, February the 28th to March the 6th is indelibly imprinted in your mind because we have the week of events. Special moments of formal dinner in the Carlton Club, wine tasting, a walk in the countryside, opportunities where people can naturally ask their questions. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in 2016? So we can face this new year, even with all its darkness and possibilities, as well as its joys. I thought I'd never say this, the joy of a grandchild at six in the morning. But the Apostle Paul has told us that we should forget what lies behind. We should strain forward towards that wonderful goal that lies ahead, heaven itself, which is available for anyone, anyone who puts their hand in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. I'm going to read some words which are very well known to many of us, but perhaps not to all. They were quoted by King George VI in his 1939 Christmas broadcast just before the Second World War, and they've, they're often read at this time of year. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I may tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way.